Well, good morning, everybody. I, Jamie already said, it's so fun to stand up here. You guys should all try it. <laughs> it's fun to stand up here and see all of your faces and your, just the fact that God would bring us all together. It's just encouraging. And it, it's an evidence of God's grace in our lives, working in our hearts. So, I don't know. I think that's just huge. <laughs> I was part of the church when it was just a few people, and so to see all of you and what God has done over these years, it's just really encouraging. Um, so let's just go ahead and look at our notebooks. Turn your notebooks over and look at the backs. Back, and we're just going to read it together, and then I have a few comments about it. Um, first, the purpose of Wellspring is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ in the Word of God so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. Um, discipline one is the heart. The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the Word of God and in particular the gospel. And then discipline two, the home. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with their heart fixed on God and his word. And then discipline three is ministry. With the heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. So did you notice that each discipline the journey starts with a faithful woman of God. So I was thinking about that, and I thought, that's what we're being equipped and encouraged to be. And when, I, when Jesus opens our eyes and we come to him in repentance and faith, he gives us a new purpose, and it's his purpose now. This faithful woman demonstrates by her life and the way that she steps into the lives of others around her she demonstrates the utter trustworthiness and reliability of the gospel. So that's a lot that we, we, God puts on us. But she does this by faithfully bringing herself to God's word and humbly pondering it, just like Jamie was saying. Um, she ponders on the truths in Christ that are hers so that when difficulty comes, when unexpected trials come in relationships, in health, in sin that wants to come and help make her forget those truths and um, deceive her heart into doubting and being tempted, she has a heart fixed on God and his word so that she is able to labor earnestly for others. And she's able to pour out a deep concern and prayer for others and for their standing before God, before a holy God. Um, when I was reading in Colossians, and I came across, Paul noted how Epaphras did this very thing. In Colossians 1.7, Paul said, um, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of God on our behalf. And then later on in chapter 4, Verse 12 and 13, he says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfectly and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. So God's going to use you to encourage others as much as you are encouraged by him and filled up with his word. Um, there's a, a quote that my husband shared with me that I thought would be fun to read to you, but it's John Owen, and it's in Old English, but I think you will <laughs> get the idea of provisioning and storing up the gospel in our hearts. It's from his book, Overcoming Sin and Temptation. He says... A man may, nay, he ought to lay provisions of the law also, fear of death, hell, punishment, with a, ten, with a terror of the Lord in them. But these are far more easily conquered than the other. 
Nay, they will never stand alone against a vigorous assault. There are con they are conquered and convinced persons every day. Hearts stored with them will struggle for a little while, but quickly give over. But store in the heart with the sense of the love of God in Christ and his love in the shedding of it. Get a relish of the privileges that we have thereby, our adoption, justification, acceptance with God. Fill the heart with thoughts of the beauty of his death, and you will, in an ordinary course of walk with God, have great peace and security as, the as to the disturbances of temptations. Um, that's what all these tools that we've been given in Wellspring are leading to to storing up the gospel in our hearts. So just want to encourage you guys, just like Jamie and Eric will, to continue in that. Um, it's God's grace that saves us and trains us, and that training comes with work. And we must do the work of heart shepherding. We've been given a lot of tools to accomplish this, tools that will help us to shepherd our hearts toward God and his word and the gospel. And we must store up these truths so that we will be ready. All right, let's pray. Lord, I am thankful for this opportunity that we get to have your word opened up, that we get to sit under your word. Your word is powerful and it has authority. These are your spoken words. Um, and we need to listen. Please help us by your spirit just to understand and apply these truths to our hearts this morning. Jesus, it is always in your great name we pray. Amen. So, thank you, Dina. The, the discipline we're going to focus on this morning is discipline number three. Uh, the first discipline being, obviously, shepherding our own hearts. Second discipline being shepherding in our homes. And, you know, if we're doing both of those well, we are well equipped to be able to step into the lives of others with discipline number three. And discipline number three this morning, the way that we're, the aspect of discipline number three that we're going to talk about this morning is the practice of biblical relationships. And we're going to use a tool called the one another's to do that. Uh, this morning, uh, specifically, we're going to talk about relationships, biblical relationships within the local body, within the local church. And the tool that we're going to do this with is called the one another's. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably heard the term one another's. You perhaps have even studied the one another's. And the one another's are a tool to survey scripture for how we are to practice biblical relationships within the church. And, and the one another's don't, don't capture everything about how believers relate to one another, but they're a very helpful tool in doing that. And, you know, you don't need to, to write these things down, but I'm going to zip through uh, a number of statistics and, and how I came up with this study. Um, if you were to just kind of Google the one another's, you'd probably find lists that would be very similar but slightly varying. And uh, the way that I came up with this study was uh, the, the one another is a very simple adjective pronoun pair. And in my English translation, that term, those two two words, uh, show up 108 times in 101 verses in the New Testament. And they're primarily two Greek pronouns that are used to, to that are translated into the English phrase, one another. So the, you get variation when you use different translations, right? Because it's, it's not looking at, uh, it's looking at one another in the English. And in those 101 verses, uh, some of those are simply narrative passages that are explaining what's going on. For example, in Mark chapter 8, verse 16, they began to discuss with one another that they had no bread. So that's not exactly what we're trying to get to with this. And uh, we want to look for the imperatives or the commands or the expectations for believers, for how believers are to relate to one another. And, uh, you know, there are some one another's that don't apply that are commands, uh, not necessarily commands for us. Matthew 24, 10, betray one another, hate one another. Revelation 6, 4, slay one another. These are obviously not things that apply to us. And uh, so once you, you know, lose some of those and filter those out and filter down uh, the ones that are like narrative passages that are not the imperatives or commands or expectations for believers, we get 38 different one another's contained in 59 different verses or passages. 
And one of the reasons there's not a one-to-one -one correspondence there is because some of the one another's have multiple verses associated with them. For example, love one another has 14 different verses that map to that one another. Uh, these one another's are found in two different gospels, Mark and John, and they're found in 16 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. And the vast majority, the vast majority of these one another's are explicit commands or expectations for believers. And the vast majority of these commands are to be carried out within the local church, within the local body. And since this body here that we're talking about, it, it's Grace Bible Church. So these commands are for us to carry out within this local church. And, you know, this, we're going to be referring to this uh, multiple times, uh, at least six more times, um, as we, you know, work through these. This has all the different one another's. All 38 and all 59 different verses uh, attached to them, and we'll be walking through that a little bit this morning. But when we talk about the local church, you know, look, look around at the people, at the women in this room, the, the men that are next door. Uh, look around on tomorrow on Sunday when we're in the worship center. This is the local church that God has us a part of. And, and these are the ones, when we look around, and you know, I understand some of us sit on one side and we don't even know who sits on the other side, um, but that's still part of our body. Those are the ones that we're to be performing the one another's with. And my hope and desire this morning is to provide some familiarity with the one another's so that they stand out in Scripture when we read them. As we're just you know, reading through uh, Scripture, those just stand out, and we can be practicing or perhaps practicing more effectively uh, the one another is within this body, so within, you know, Grace Bible Church in particular. And my, my hope is, after going through this lesson, that you'll see that the obedient Christian, the obedient Christian, you, me, must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers within the local church. And evidence of those close biblical relationships is the practice of the one another's with one another in the local church. I'll say that again. The obedient Christian, you, me, must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers within the local church. And evidence of those close biblical relationships is the practice of the one another's with one another in the local church. The one another's are essentially a manual for biblical relationships in the local church. And you know, there's a lot of passages um, that talk about how believers relate to believers in general and how believers relate to non-believers. And we're not going to be discussing those here today. We're, we're narrowing the focus of how believers re uh, interact with believers within the local church. And, you know, all these other passages on how, you know, we're to relate with others, uh, all those coexist very nicely together in God's word. But we're not going to be focusing on that and addressing those different things this morning. We're going to be focusing specifically on the biblical relationships within the local church. And to help us do that, if you notice on the reference sheet, there's six different categories. Uh, there's love, care, edification, service, humility, and unity. And to help us unpack all those, we're going to walk through six different questions that are going to help us investigate how God wants us to practice biblical relationships within the local church. And the first one we're going to do that with is, how does God want us to practice loving one another? How does God want us to practice loving one another? The primary and single most important one another is love one another. That command stands over and above all the others. It's like an umbrella that covers all the others. All the other one another's flow out of this one. They flow out of a love for one another. The first love one another that we're going to discuss is found in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. So if you want to turn over there, and we're going to be turning to a lot of scriptures so, and walking through a lot of scriptures, so hopefully you guys are ready for that. Uh, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Here, in uh, here in John chapter 13, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's in the upper room. 
Uh, he's there for the Last Supper. He is literally hours away from going to the cross. Judas has already left, and so it's Jesus with the remaining 11 disciples. And here in verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have a love for one another. I want you to see that word love. When you read that word, what do you, what, what's one of the first things that comes to mind? For, for me, you know, one of those first things I think of as love is, is the emotion, the feeling, the warm affections that I have for the people I care about. Biblical love includes all of that, and it includes so much more. A biblical love is one that loves the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. It's one that loves our neighbor as ourselves. It's a selfless love, a self-giving love. That, that kind of love transcends our circumstances. It's not tied to our circumstances. It transcends them. I also want you to notice something else about that word love. It's a verb. It's an active verb. This love is a love of action. And in this use of love... That action is directed towards one another. And now Jesus provides a new commandment. It's new because it narrows the focus of the love. The disciples are not to simply have a love of neighbor. That's already been established in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, and in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Here, they are to love one another. And the one another here are the 11 remaining disciples. Jesus says, you disciples, love the disciples love one another. Jesus does not give this command to the crowds in general. He didn't give this command to all those that were following him. He gave this command specifically and intimately to the 11, the ones that were left, the ones that he had spent three years developing these close, intimate relationships with. These disciples were to love one another with a love that was modeled after the love which Christ had for them. Notice in verse 34, that you love one another even as I have loved you. What kind of love did Christ have for, for these disciples? Jesus' love was unconditional. The twelve were not the easiest bunch of guys to love. <laughs> Over the three years, they, they did lots of uh, interesting things that would not have been worthy of Jesus' love. Uh, Jesus' love was humble. The creator, the king, becoming a man and spending three years with them. His love was merciful. He did not provide what they deserved. Jesus' love was gracious. He gave to them and privileged them based on nothing that they had done. His love was patient. Regardless of what they said or did, he was patient. He's patient with them. His love was self-giving. His love was selfish. His, his love was sacrificial. His love for them was demonstrated at great cost to himself, and he loved them when they didn't love him. And specifically in the context here, when he's going to the cross, he's just hours away from going to the cross, he loved them when he knew they were going to abandon him. as they would do shortly. The disciples were to have that kind of love for one another. And the results of that love for one another, in verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. Their love for one another would provide a witness and a testimony to the world that they are Christ's disciples, that they are followers of Christ. This new commandment that Jesus gives the disciples, this is a commandment for us. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. We're to have close, intimate relationships with fellow believers and the purpose for pouring for the purpose of pouring out our love on them. And our love for one another, how well we're doing that, is a testimony and a witness to an unbelieving world. 
Our love for one another draws attention to Christ. People in this world are going to see something that they want to have, and we get to point them to the one that provides that. The love that we have and show demonstrates or, and demonstrate with one another magnifies the one who we follow. This love is the outstanding and essential mark of the Christian. Another passage that has love one another is found in 1 John chapter 3. So if you can flip on over there. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 is where our one another is found. And here the Apostle John was writing to the local churches likely around Ephesus. And the one another, as in all the ones we're going to be covering here, is being addressed to the people that are part of the local church found in that area. I'm going to start reading in verses 10 and go down through verse 23. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. And we will know by this that we are of the truth. And we will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things which are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Verse 10, he who does not love his brother is not of God. Our love for one another is evidence that we are believers. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. Again, our love, is, our love of the brethren is evidence that we have been saved. Verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, Christ being the supreme example. Verse 17, we love one another by providing worldly needs. For our brethren. Verse 18, we love in deed and in truth. Our love has action that is supported by and with God's word. In verse 23, we love one another just as he commanded us. Another love one another is, uh, at least in my Bible, it's on the following page. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who, who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love God, or the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 10, he loved us when we didn't love him. We actually hated and rebelled against God. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The, the perfect one, the sinless one, came from heaven to earth to become human to be born and live in this fallen sinful world and was sent to be the propitiation, the wrath-satisfying sacrifice for our sins. Not his sins, not everyone's sins, but our sins, his people, his church. And he bore the wrath, the punishment for sins 
for those that did not love him. And verse 11 says, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the kind of love we're to have for one another. And here, you know, we kind of covered it. God's love was selfless and sacrificial, unconditional, merciful, gracious, enduring, costly, provided for our greatest need, doing that which we were helpless to do. And in light of all of that, what should my love for one another look like? There needs to be others in my life here at Grace Bible Church. I need to know what's going on in their lives so that I can love them. I need to be always looking for ways to love them earnestly, consistently, constantly. My love needs to be selfless with godly motivations. Everything that I have, my time, my knowledge, my energy, possessions, money, are the Lord's and need to be available for one another. It may be costly, may be inconvenient, maybe a sacrifice but these are these are what god is uh this is how god wants us to practice loving one another here within the local church that we call grace bible church the second question that we're going to use to investigate this is how does god want us to practice caring for one another so here i want you to look at this little sheet and under care You'll find care for one another, bear one another's burdens, be kind to one another, comfort one another, and pray for one another. We're going to cover care for one another found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 is where we find the care for one another. And the context for this verse in particular is really all of chapter 12 and paul here is addressing again uh, a local church the local church here found in corinth and paul is dealing with division in the body of the corinthian church they had factions over who was being baptized by who and now paul is addressing the division within the church because of spiritual gifts and the paul uh, the focus here for paul is the unity of the believers in the body of christ not as individuals but unified for the common good And the different members of the body are necessary. And I'm actually going to start reading in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. verse, uh, Verse 12. For even as the body is one... And yet has many members, and all of the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body. Is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole hearing were where would if the whole were, were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we would deem less honorable, on those we bestow much or more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. Verse 25, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. In verse 24, it says that God so 
specifically it says uh, that God has so composed the body. God's composing of the body was so that there would be no division, but that the members would have the same care for one another. Paul's contrasting division that's been going on with care for one another. And Paul provides two examples in verse 26 of this unity that we have. He provides uh, two examples, one of suffering and one of rejoicing. If one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And, you know, when I think of, you know, the season of life that God has had our church in now for, you know, a couple of years, uh, there's just been much suffering. I think of the Hantlas and what uh, Jacob and Kiki and the family and Jeff and Lori have been going through. And when, when we, you know, hear the news that's been going on this week with, with Jacob, are our hearts just not broken for that family? Do we not suffer along with them? Even if we're not necessarily interacting with them on a regular basis, our hearts are burdened. Our body suffers with the ones who suffer. And there are many more examples of other members in this body that are suffering in different ways. And we, we feel that. We, we hurt for them. And, and similarly, rejoicing. When, when, when people are getting engaged and getting married and having babies, we, we love to make those announcements so that we get to rejoice with everyone and we get to rejoice a lot with the babies that are being born. There's a lot of babies. Um, and uh, we, we love rejoicing around those things that we can rejoice in. And, and those are ways that God wants us to be unified in, in, instead of having division. Um, and God puts different members in the body with different skills, with different resources, different capacities for the purpose of providing the same care for the body. God doesn't want division or factions. He wants us unified in caring for those that are suffering and unified around those that are rejoicing. Another way that God wants us to practice caring for one another is to bear one another's burdens. And this is found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. This is for the local church in Galatia. And I'll start reading actually in verse 1. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. This, this is dealing with sin and temptation and restoration. And to bear means to carry something burdensome and to carry with endurance. So this is not about lifting something that's kind of heavy and doing it just one time. This is about doing it with endurance. This is carrying something that is a heavy load. Uh, burden is, uh, that word means heavy load, which is difficult to lift or carry. And, uh, you know, the picture I have is trying to carry just uh, one time when I was teaching Next Generation, I filled the backpack just full of lots and lots of rocks so that the kids couldn't even lift it. And this is like trying to do that and carrying it for a long distance. Um, believers in the local church are being called to walk with a fellow believer. They're being called to come alongside and to walk with them and to help them bear that burden of sin and temptation, ultimately onto repentance and restoration. Sin and temptation are significant burdens, and we, we need help with that. We need help from one another, and this is not just a pastor's job. This is a job for all of us. One of my former pastors said, you're either bearing a burden or you're helping someone else bear theirs. Those are ways that we can be practicing caring for one another. The next question we're going to ask is, how does God want us to practice edifying one another? And looking at our reference here under edification, we find build up one another, admonish one another, speak truth to one another, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, encourage one another, seek after that which is good for one another, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. 
And, and I do realize as I'm walking through all these, there's a lot of stuff here and I'm going kind of fast, but um, scribble down what you can. Um, I'm not gonna slow down. Um, and so we're gonna talk about build up one another and it's found in 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 11. This is uh, addressed to the local church in Thessalonica, and I'm going to start reading, uh, it's verse 5, 11, but I'm going to start reading at the beginning of uh, chapter 5 and verse 1. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly. Labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For our God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live for him, we will live together with him. Therefore, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. These believers had questions and concerns about the day of the Lord. Uh, they, they had questions about when was this going to take place? And so Paul proceeds to encourage them and to build them up. He explains truth about believers. They're not in darkness. They're not overtaken. They're not destined for wrath. They're destined for salvation in Christ. They are sons of the light and sons of the day. Therefore, since for unbelievers there's wrath, and therefore since for believers there's no wrath, encourage one another and build up one another. And Paul in his exhortation, was actually doing the very thing he was exhorting them to do. You know, he was building up these believers with truth. This assumes, for us, this assumes that we're in close communication with believers, that we spend time with them so that we can then build them up and encourage them. You, you have to have somewhat of an intimate relationship to know where one needs to be built up and encouraged. Another way that God wants us to practice edifying one another is to admonish one another, found in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Romans 15, verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself am also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. The word here for admonish, some translations may say instruct, is the word nutheteo. And this word may sound somewhat familiar, as many of you have heard of nuthetic counseling or biblical counseling. And this simply means to counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct, to admonish, to warn, to instruct. <laughs> But this, this instruction is not simply for knowledge's sake. This instruction, it's, it's instruction with the purpose of having someone avoid or cease from doing something. And this admonishing is to be done with Scripture. It's specifically to bring, we, we, we see somebody that is doing something that needs to be ceased or avoided because God says it needs to be ceased or avoided. And we're doing it with scripture. And so from that perspective, it's not about preferences. This is lovingly going to your brother or sister and warning them about something that needs to cease or something they need to avoid. And we're to be doing this with one another. And, and Paul here is affirming that these believers are able to do this with one another. All believers bear the responsibility to admonish one another. This is not just a job of the elders or the deacons or your small group leader. Uh, all of us with one another are commanded to do this. And, you know, I know 
Confrontation is obviously not something that we, we want to do. And uh, it's something often we feel ill-equipped to do. Um, but God, through the Holy Spirit, through Paul, is saying that these believers are able to do this. And, and, and if you know what God's word says, and you recognize something in someone, and, you're, and then you're like, you, you are able to do that, and you're able to bring God's word, and this is bringing it lovingly um, to them, humbly to do that. And, uh, and you know, if, if one of our brothers or sisters is actually in sin, what is the most loving thing that we can do for them? We can shed light on it. We can expose it lovingly admonishing them for it. And also, if we are, as a body, practicing this, that also implies that we are going to be admonished. We have to be ready to be admonished. We have to humbly receive admonishment. This is not something just we do for everybody else. This also comes back to us if we're doing it well um, as a body. Um, so we also need to be thinking about that as well. If one's going to come to us and admonish us for something, that's something that they've seen in us, that's something that needs to change, that's something that's not pleasing to the Lord. And honestly, I may not want to hear that, but if it's something that I'm doing that's not pleasing to the Lord, I need to hear that. I want to hear that. I may not want to hear it in that moment, um, but I need to hear it. And, uh, and so you know, I'm thankful when I have brothers and sisters that come around me and, and do admonish me for things that they see in my life. And we all need to uh, be ready to step into other people's lives to do that and to also receive that. So those are the ways that God wants us to practice edifying one another. Number four, how does God want us to practice being humble with one another? Humble with one another. Under humility on the reference sheet, you'll find give preference to one another, be subject to one another, regard one another as more important than yourself, Confess your sins to one another. Be humble toward one another. The first of those uh, ways that we get to practice being humble with one another, we're going to cover is give preference to one another. And this is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. So just a couple pages back. Romans chapter 12. The second part of verse 10 says, give preference to one another in honor. This, this section of Romans uh, has some 25 exhortations for believers. And this section within that section uh, is actually dealing with family relationships and specifically family relationships related to the family of God. And God says then to give preference to one another in honor. Some translations may say outdo one another in showing honor. This give preference or outdo means to do with eagerness, to do exceedingly, lead the way, go before, to precede, to prefer. And honor, you know, simply means high respect or high esteem. This is showing genuine and appreciation and admiration for believers by putting them first. We are to go before so that we can give honor. We're to be proactive in doing that. Showing genuine appreciation and admiration for one another in the family of God, we are, we are to be quick to show respect. We're to be quick to show admiration. We're to be quick to acknowledge the accomplishments of others. We're quick to show genuine love by not being jealous or envious. And, and what would be a reason that we, we would delay in doing these things, that we would not be quick to do those things? because of my own pride. I'm thinking of myself first. Um, it takes humility to actually get outside of ourselves and see others to let alone to actually see them first and to, to acknowledge them first. Um, but that's what we're called to do. And yeah, uh, we need to, to be quick to put them first. Another way that God wants us to practice being humble with one another is to confess your sins to one another. That's found in James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Confess simply means to make an admission of wrongdoing or sin, to confess it, to admit it. And here we are commanded to continually do this with one another. This is not something that we desire to do. Sin wants to stay hidden. Sin wants to stay private and secret. And you mix in our pride with it, and we often run away from confession. God wants my sin. God wants my sin and your sin exposed. He wants it dealt with in the loving fellowship of believers. And how kind is God to provide uh, this intimate fellowship with believers that we can have our sin exposed in? And, you know, in Matthew chapter 18, that first step is what we're talking about here. It's where a person's sin is exposed, not broadly. We don't start announcing things from out front. This, this, this is something that's happening between individual believers. How kind and gracious is God to do that? And we need to be in to, to do this, to obey this, to be able to confess our sins to one another. We need to be in close, intimate relationships. It requires that so that we can humbly practice this one another. Number five, how does God want us to practice serving one another? How does God want us to practice serving one another? Under service on our reference page, we have serve one another, be hospitable to one another, and wash one another's feet. The first one we're going to t- uh, touch on is serve one another. This is found in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. A few pages to the right, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. I'm actually going to start reading in verse 8 and go through 11. Peter says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Out of a fervent love for one another, we are to serve one another. And the word serve is diakoneo, which is where we get the word for deacon. And this is a personal service. This is a discharge of a loving service. In the Greek culture, that word had the meaning of waiting tables. And for the Greeks, service was looked down upon as undignified. A common saying would have been, we are born to rule, not serve. This was their culture. And this, what Peter is uh, telling them to do here, would have been completely countercultural. Our service to one another is out of a love for one another. And it can be very humbling. It can also be very exhausting. As we serve one another, pouring out ourselves for one another, we're serving, in verse 11, by the strength which God supplies. By the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. I know Serving can be very tiring and exhausting. And often there's no, not that we're looking for recognition, but uh, there's not even an acknowledgement necessarily often that uh, it is hard, it is exhausting and those kinds of things. And people do it. And I'm so thankful if you're one of those that is out here serving in those ways. Um, God knows, God sees, and it's through God's strength that we actually get to serve in those ways. And at the end of the day, it's all done to God's glory. We're not looking for individual recognition from from each other. We're looking to please the Lord and to to draw attention to him. Another way that God wants us to practice serving one another is to wash one another's feet. You guys ready to take your shoes and socks off and some buckets of water? 
Why are you guys laughing? <laughs> the context here in the upper room, again, we're back in chapter 13. This is where Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room, uh, the Last Supper, hours before he's going to the cross. And because it's earlier in chapter 13, this is prior to when Judas had left. So Judas is actually there. There are the 12 of them. And I need to flip over. So John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 14 is where it's the wash one another's feet, but I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus said to him, what I, what I do, you do not realize, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then, then wash not only my feet, but also my, my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. In Israel, dirt and dust was everywhere. And it was not uncommon for that dust to be an inch thick. And what, what do you think happened when it rained? You had a lot of mud. Um, and, you know, so wearing only sandals, their feet would get really, really dirty. Um, at the entrance of every home, every Jewish home, there would have been large pots of water so that one could come in and wash their feet before entering the home. And for a slave, this was the most menial task they were given, to wash the feet of all the guests of those who were coming in. And when Jesus and the disciples arrived at the upper room, there was no slave. One of the 12 could have or should have offered to do it, but we know from Luke chapter 22, verse 24, that the 12 were too busy arguing about which one of them was the greatest. They were too busy being selfish, thinking about their perceived greatness to see the humble service that needed to be done. And so Jesus, the God of the universe, the King, the Messiah, who had already humbled himself coming to earth, took another step even lower. Jesus, by his example, displayed incredible, humble service to the disciples by getting low and doing this menial task to wash their feet. And the disciples are to do so, were to do so, in a like manner with each other. Now, we don't exactly have the same dirty feet problem that they had back then. But we're to get low and we're to follow our Lord's humble service as an example and we're to do this with each other. And there are plenty of menial tasks, tasks that nobody would love to go do in of the task of themselves, but they are still a service that needs to be done. And we can serve, and this, these are different ways that we can serve uh, one another is by, by taking on some of these really humble tasks that need to be done. So these are the different ways God wants us to practice serving one another. Um, number six, how does God want us to practice being unified with one another? Under On our reference page, under unity, we have be devoted to one another. Let us not judge one another. Be of the same mind as one another. Accept one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another. Do not consume one another. Let us not challenge one another. 
Let us not envy one another. Show tolerance for one another. Bear with one another. Do not lie to one another. Live in peace with one another. Do not speak against one another. Do not complain against one another. And fellowship with one another. We're going to uh, touch on be devoted to one another found in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. So we're going back to Romans chapter 12. And back to that same verse, verse 10, but we're going to cover the first part of it. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Some translations uh, say uh, uh, love one another, um, but this is not exactly the same love that we've been talking about. The Greek word behind devoted uh, means the natural love which occurs within the family. This is a kindred love, uh, warm affections, and it could be even translated uh, lovingly loving. Uh, The Greek word behind brotherly love is actually a word that you're all familiar with, Philadelphia. Uh, That word literally means love for brother or sister, a blood relative. That's the affection, the tender, kind, caring, concerned, warm feelings and affections that we have for family, for a blood relative. And if you put all that together, instead of just saying be devoted to one another in brotherly love, you could also say be lovingly loving with one another with loving love. That's a lot of love. Um, And it's also why I'm not a Bible translator. Uh, Believers are to be devoted to each other. They're to have affections and love for each other that are reserved for immediate family, for blood relatives. That's the kind of relationship that God has us in when we are in the family of God. We, we, We have been adopted into his family, and we have this relationship. Obviously, we commonly call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ and we are and that and that is a family relationship there are things that I would say and do with a close family member that I would not necessarily say to just a friend and yet how much unity are we here within the family of family unit that God has ordained um, you know the, the relationships that we have between husbands and wives and parents and children and brothers and sisters you know, that's, that's the kind of relationship that we have within the family of God, that we have within uh, these family uh, Christ-ordained relationships within the local church. And we're to command it to have those same warm, familial affections for one another here at Grace Bible Church. An- another way that God wants us to practice being unified with one another is let us not judge one another. Let us not judge one another. Romans chapter 14, verse 13, says, Therefore, let us not judge one another. But I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Verse 13, therefore, 
Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. There are two issues that Paul's addressing here in this chapter. And one is dealing with food, and the other is dealing with certain days being regarded as more important than the others. You know, we have weak believers here, we have strong believers. Strong believers can have an attitude of a contemptuous superiority, and the weak believers can have an attitude of self-righteousness. And Paul provides the command to, ju- to not judge one another. These issues are in the area of Christian liberty and practice. They are neither commanded nor forbidden by Scripture. They are personal preference. They're also historic tradition, not doctrinal or moral compromise. It says specifically that God accepted both the weak believer and the strong believer, And if God himself doesn't make an issue of such things, what right do his children have to make an issue of those things? This doesn't mean that we don't talk about our preferences. Doesn't mean that, but it does mean that we don't hold our preferences as though they are principles. And by principle, I mean, this is actually what God's word tells us. We don't judge our brothers and sisters that don't hold the same preferences that we do. And we don't regard them with contempt. That's another way that God wants us to practice being unified with one another. is to not judge each other's preferences. Um, I think I only have about another hour and a half. um, I have to wait 30? Okay, I have more time than I thought. Um, So we've investigated six different questions of how God wants us to practice biblical relationships within the local church. Um, So let me ask a few more questions. Can one be obedient to scripture and not be practicing the one another's? Can one be obedient to scripture and not be practicing the one another's? Can one obediently practice the one another's and not be plugged into a local church? Can one obediently practice the one another's and not be plugged into a local church? Can one effectively practice the one another's by only participating in body life on the Lord's Day? Only coming to the worship service. Can one effectively effectively practice the one another's by only participating on the Lord's Day coming to the worship service? We all live in America, and our country is very consumeristic. Uh, we're all impacted by it. We can't get away from it. It impacts all of us. And given that, it can be very easy to bring that kind of consumeristic view into the church. It can be common to only focus on what I get out of a relationship, what I get out of a Bible study, what I get out of a worship service. I view how well, I could view how well something is going based solely on what I felt I got out of it. That's a view of relationships within the local church that scripture does not support. The obedient Christian, you and me, The obedient Christian must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers within the local church, so here at Grace Bible Church. And evidence of those biblical relationships is going to be the practice of the one another's with the people here at GBC. And and here at GBC, the primary vehicle we have for practicing these biblical relationships is small groups. We, We understand that, you know, during the For example, for tomorrow during our worship service, we're going to come in corporate worship together, and then there's going to be some fellowship beforehand and some fellowship afterwards. And, you know, granted, there can be a lot of things that can happen during that time. But as we've, you know, just done a a relatively short survey of the one another's, the commands that are given there and those expectations really cannot be carried out alone during that short period of time on Sundays. And so here at Grace Bible Church, we have small groups, which are going to be smaller groups of believers here at GBC with which we can carry out and foster 
and have a regular kind of structured time for these intimate relationships to to grow so that we can uh, so that we can know others better and they can know us so that then we can actually carry out these different uh, commands and expectations and and carry out these one another's with one another. And I am just so thankful the way God has composed the body and put us in relationship with one another. And I'm thankful that he has provided so much instruction on how we are to live the Christian life with one another. I'm thankful for the believers here at GBC that I've had close relationships with and do have close relationships with. And I get the opportunity to practice and carry out these one another's with them. And and I'm sure if you've been here for any uh, amount of time, you've probably experienced the love, the care, edification, the service, humility, and uh, of, the, of your fellow believers here at Grace Bible Church. Um, so hopefully I was able to provide some familiarity with the one another's if you weren't already familiar with them uh, so that they stand out in scripture so that we all individually and corporately can be practicing them more effectively within the body here, specifically the body of Grace Bible Church. Um, I know I covered a whole bunch of stuff and I went through it kind of fast. If you guys have any questions whatsoever, come talk to me, uh, grab me tomorrow or whenever, uh, talk to your small group leaders. Um, and I would love to, to answer any questions that you guys might have. And uh, let's go ahead and we'll pray. And uh, you guys can get to your discussion groups. Lord, you have a lot of instruction for how we are to interact with one another. Lord, I'm thankful that you provide that. We need that. I'm thankful, uh, Jesus, that it's all, the end of all of it is to just make much of you. I pray that as we live for one another, uh, that we ultimately just bring uh, a testimony and a witness to you, uh, to your love for us, to your uh, gospel, to uh, how you save others and others can be transformed. We are not doing this in our own strength. We are not worthy of any of this. Uh, Lord, we are sinners and we desperately need you to do this work in us. Please help us. Jesus, we, we definitely want to make much of you as long as we are on this earth. And Jesus, it's always in your great name we pray. Amen.